Good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Good morning, everyone. Uh, first off, let me start off today this recording by saying that I am so grateful for every single one of you. I'm so grateful for all of your prayers. While Anne and I were away these last two Sundays, we just are, have been blown away uh, by all the love that we've uh, received and it's, it wasn't surprising because I know the quality of our community and so I just wanted to say thank you a big thank you to Pastor Soper and for Michael for blowing it out of the water um, thank you for bringing us the word thank you for being so honest and vulnerable uh, I I know what it's like to try and come up here and be vulnerable be honest be authentic every single week and so thank you for sharing your heart thank you for opening up uh, what the word has meant to you, uh, and especially Michael, thank you for sharing such a, a part of your story that I know is so deep, uh, so close to your heart. Uh, I thank you, and uh, you uh, blessed us all last week with your story. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just so happy to be a part of this church, about uh, this community. So many pastors out there, I, I know, feel like this journey of being a pastor is a solo thing, it's lonely. And there are elements of that, sure, with the call, but I'm just so grateful that I, I have a staff that I can trust and rely on and give anything. So grateful for all of our leaders here and, and really every single one of you to come here. This whole season has been teaching me the quality and depth uh, and the desire of not even just our church, but the church, because I had I never expected us to be, what, I think, week 21, week 22, and still be together, still be strong, still be seeking the Lord. Um, and so I thank you all. I love this. Um, and so let's all just remain a healthy body, a body that just pursues being healthy and vulnerable with one another. And amazing things are, are still to come. We love you all. We miss you. We'll be together in person soon. And so uh, today we're just we're picking back up first and second Peter, the Deepening Our Soul series here. And uh, I'm going to start by just sharing a story, a story from when I was in college. You see, um, I ended up studying sociology at my college, but my first major was, I was actually a business major. Uh, I think I just defaulted to that because I didn't know what else to do. And so I started off as a business major, and so I took business classes at first. And I, I just remember this one story when we had a guest speaker in one of our classes he, this guy wasn't very old. He was probably in his 30s. Um, and he apparently he had made a lot of money. And he came and he shared with us. He shared some of his story. And I remember a conclusion that he made. For some reason, it's, I've never forgotten it. I don't even know if I agree with it 100%. But this is what he said. He said that he learned in life that in life you're going to suffer. And so he had the decision to make. Was he going to suffer with money or was he going to suffer without money? And so he made the decision to suffer with money, to try and get rid of any problems that life might come, any obstacle that money can solve. He would be, he would know that he had that reserve, something tucked away. He would know that um, he would have something to rely on, something to bring him security. And I'm not here necessarily to talk about if that's good or not, but that made me think so much. Uh, that that story kept on coming up to me coming up to my mind as I prepared for today's word, as I dove into our passage here for this week in 1 Peter chapters uh, 2, 11 to the end of chapter 3. And it kept on coming back to me. 
And I, it was just, God, I think the Holy Spirit was developing this idea between two things about being a Christian tourist and a Christian sufferer. And so our, our main idea today comes out of this question today. Today we're, we're faced with the question is do our lives, our expectations, look, look more like a Christian tourist or a Christian sufferer? I, I'll, I'll say what I, I mean by that. As a Christian tourist, I, I'm thinking of um, this idea that so many of us have, that so many of us, just, even as people, we just want, is, that, is this expectation that life was made, we, our lives were made for us to enjoy it, that we should have pleasure, that we should enjoy everything, that if there's any semblance of pain or suffering, that means that there's something wrong with our faith, or we're not praying enough, or we did something wrong. It's, it's that whenever life gets difficult, there's something wrong, and so we need to repent. And I don't want to be too harsh on some Christian organizations, because they, they do great things, and I, I never want to be one to talk bad about a organizations that are honestly pursuing Jesus but when I went to go and pick an organization to be a part of after after college I just felt like so many of our Christian experiences were just Instagram Christian experiences where hey go around tell the world about Jesus but hey we're gonna give you all of these fun things to be distracted with we're gonna give you all of these things it's this adventure it's this Instagram story. I, I read this story, an article a couple of weeks ago about this lady who is in uh, $60,000 worth of debt because she wanted to pursue being an Instagram model. And so she traveled and went to nice hotels and $60,000 later, she just, she has given up and is in all of this debt. And I just feel like oftentimes our Christian journey, our Christian experience uh, amounts to that is that we say very superficial, we're just Christian tourists here in this world, enjoying everything, trying to soak up all of these experiences, trying to collect for ourselves, build for ourselves, when we're really called to be Christian sufferers. And I know that that word doesn't sound great. Even this idea doesn't sound that great. But to me, this idea, this life of as a Christian sufferer, is that you live this life that's so deeply committed to your transformation, to the transformation of those around you, that the word so comes into your heart and your spirit and changes you and that you actually see these biblical promises coming to fruition and a lot of them come only through suffering and pain and it's not this fear of suffering but it's this devotion to Jesus devotion to following Jesus to say Lord whatever you whatever comes my way I won't let go of you and I won't let go of my faith in you but I'm going to allow that suffering, that experience, whether it be uh, the enemy, whether it be my own sin, um, mistakes I've made, or whether it's just life happening, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm actually going to let the suffering inform me of who you are and, and for me to rely on you more. Well, we talked a couple weeks ago about Lipeo. It's, it's this idea of suffering that Jesus went through, how he wrestled in the garden before the cross, and he was to the point of he was sweating blood. To the point where he was crying, to the point where he wanted some of his friends to stay up praying with him. And it's, this is the picture that I think the biblical narrative paints of someone who really follows Jesus more than enjoying life, though that's great, more than having pleasure, though God made pleasure and so it is good. But it's this idea that is so devoted to Jesus 
that scripture promises us that if we follow Jesus, persecution will come, trials will come, suffering will come, sacrifices will come. And, and that it produces this faith in us that is unshakable, that nothing in this world can come and shake us off Jesus. It might hurt us, it might cause us to suffer, but, it, but we will not hold up, keep our eyes off of Jesus. It will actually make us look at him, look towards him more and understand him. To see this, Lewis says, and I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that he wrote about how the Christian life, a true Christian life, is both the saddest and the happiest. That the Christian heart is just so, we have this living joy, this living hope. We're new creatures. We have this freedom. Uh, and so we know deep, deep happiness. And we know what it is like to know the creator of everything. But yet our hearts are also so attuned to suffering, our own suffering, the suffering of the world, what the kingdom of darkness does to one another and to this world. And so we suffer at the same time and our hearts are deeply acquainted with both happiness and suffering. And so this is our question for today. This is the question that I believe that in prayer, the scripture for today is really leading us towards. Is this question, do our lives and expectations look more like Christian tourists or Christian sufferers? And so let me pray for that, that big idea to really find this fertile place in our hearts, in our time together today, as we look into the Word, as we look into First Peter, to see what, what God had inspired Peter to put on paper for the church to know for the rest of time. And so, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your patience and your mercy and your grace. I thank you that your kingdom is built on love and forgiveness and mercy. Lord, we don't deserve any of it, but you freely give it. And so be in this word today, Lord. Lord, have it be pregnant for our, with meaning, with significance, with change over our lives and our hearts so that we don't look like Christian tourists just going from experience to experience, wanting um, what we want, Lord, but that how we just are so able and capable and have hearts that are big enough to live with you through the ups and downs of life and that we never take our eyes off of you. Lord, please continue to develop this word in my heart and in my mouth, Lord, and all of us as we hear this, as we wrestle with it, as we give it time to digest it in our lives. Lord, we love you. We hold ourselves devoted to you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're back with our Deepening Our Souls series again in First and Second Peter. Um, I, I hope it's very clear at this point that I love these two books, that I think it has a lot to say about practical living, practical uh, ideas about suffering and, and living towards righteousness, and not just for our own gain, but for Jesus and to let him change us. And, and so here, just a quick reminder of where we're at. So Peter is writing to Asia Minor, to modern-day Turkey. He's writing to Christ, Gentile Christians there who have accepted Jesus for the first time. And they're experiencing a lot of suffering. And he wants to address it theologically and very practically. Today, we see a lot of the practical come in. But he's talking to them. He's say, talking to this group of people who have been losing their family, who have been losing their jobs, their status, their safety, even their physical safety, that they have said yes to something that will endanger them and potentially kill them. 
that they've lost their friends, they've lost their identity, what it, what it used to mean to be who they were, they've lost it all. Because we know that saying yes to Jesus is much more than just adding something to our lives, but saying yes to Jesus is this cosmic eternal event that changes the course of all of history, that changes eternity. And so Peter wants to write to these believers because he knows that they're going through a hard time and that some are struggling to keep their faith. And he's saying, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Don't let go. Don't take your eyes off of him. Don't look at all the suffering around you more than you do at G to Jesus. Because if you let go of Jesus, you're not actually gaining everything, but you're losing everything. Don't let go of the one who created everything, who knows you, who died for you. It's hard, we know, but don't let go of Jesus because you'll be losing much more than you ever thought. Which to us should also be a great reminder to us that if we ever tell people about Jesus in our life, um, they shouldn't take it just casually and say yes, because it actually has the power to change. It will change everything in their life, and it will change their behaviors and their friends. And so we keep on going after our friends, our co-workers, the people that we love, but we also keep somewhere in our head that we know the the gravity of what we're calling people into. And so Peter just wants to reach out to these people. By now, this is decades into him being one of the main leaders of the whole church, the one of the founder of founding apostles, so this man who has changed so much himself from the brash disciple that we were introduced to, and then now into this compassionate pastor who has been guiding people for decades now, remembering his old friend, or telling people about what he did. And so we've seen here in First Peter that he's, he's practically calling them into things that have really deep theological foundations. The first is that he's, calling, he's writing to these Gentiles and he's saying, you know what, you are God's people, you have joined the lineage of God's people. Just like Israel was wandering the desert when they were slaves, when it was just Abraham and his family, and then the kingdoms afterwards, saying, we are just as part, we're heirs to, the, to this kingdom, to this God, we have been grafted in. Scandalous message in this day, even when Peter was just growing as an apostle, he himself was struggling with this. God had to give him a dream and also an experience with a Roman uh, soldier to, to really continue to mold him and change his ideas. Peter also discusses how these ex that we are all exiles. We're wandering the desert waiting for Jesus to come and take us and bring us to our home, that this place isn't our home, but that we are in the desert waiting and, and looking for him and going after him, leading, letting him lead our lives as he does. And then he also remember last time he talked about how we are called to live holy, set-apart lives, that there's never an excuse to sin, but the idea here is also that we live differently, that we are peculiar, that there's something about us that is a little strange and a little off, that um, we live these lives that are different from our neighbors, from the people who don't know Christ, that our lives should look different than people who don't know Jesus. I, I remember in seminary reading firsthand accounts from Romans, from the Roman perspective, about how just weird Christians were, followers of Jesus were in the day. 
how they were they were called cannibals because they would come together and eat the body of someone from Israel and drink his blood. One of the things about them, one of the misinformation about them was that they were cannibals and monsters. I, but I also just re remember reading these accounts about how perplexed these Romans were that they these Christians, these people who followed a man as their savior didn't go to orgies and didn't share their wives. It was just so confusing to them why they looked so different. Why did they not live like everyone else and do what everyone else was doing because it felt good and it was a pleasure for why were they saying no to themselves and it really is because of the set apart lives. Remember Peter also tells them right afterwards to say you, you should be living stones, monuments, walking, breathing monuments that people look at and then you point them back to Jesus all the time whether you're in a good season or in your bad season, when you're happy and leading people towards Christ or suffering and leading towards people towards Christ, that there's something different. And that as these living stones, God is building all of us into a spiritual home for us to live together. And so this, the very idea of this, of the realities of the world and the sufferings, it doesn't give any space for us to be Christian tourists in this world because life just demands so much from us. It demands so much heart power from us. It demands so much emotional maturity and the ability to grasp how we are truly doing and where our emotions truly are. And so we can't just be Christian tourists in this world, but we have to be so present. We have to be so real and honest and vulnerable with where we are, where our hearts are, and with our neighbors. That there's no space in, in our truly devoted life to Jesus while just being a Christian tourist, while just looking to have fun, have great experiences, but that we need to know Christ in the suffering just as much as we do when we're being victorious. And so I'll pose the question one more time for us as we go into the body, into the meat, into what Peter is saying for us this week, is do our lives and our expectations look more like Christian tourists or Christian sufferers? Does our, our life on paper, someone looking at it objectively, does it show even ourselves that our faith really changes the way that we live? Today we're, we're going to talk about some really practical things, people, people groups in their circumstance now that Peter wanted to write to and say, you know, hold on, hold on, do this, do that, go after good. And so let's start with the first person, first group of people that he talks about, where he talks about sojourners and exiles. Let's pick up in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and we're going to read up until verse 17. God's word says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, 
do, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. I wanted to start this section today by talking about how I love how Peter goes back, how the Holy Spirit brings him back to this idea that, that we're aliens, sojourners, and strangers in this world, depending on your translation. And I, I love that he goes back to that because it's a reminder to you and to me that this isn't our ultimate home, that God can ask us to live such holy, set apart, these lives that are living stones worthy lives. Because when we say yes to him, we're completely changed and we, in our very nature, we belong to him and we're new people, we're new creations. And so he calls us into this life because we're new and we're different. We should be different than the world. We should be stronger than what the world is. And he continues to break it down from verses 15 to 17. Things that are just so hard to live out just between human nature. Verse 15, he talks about this. He talks, For it is God's will that by, that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. That, that we silence ignorance and we silence foolish because we are so committed to living lives that do good. And we've talked already in weeks about what good is, how the Bible defines it as good, and who this good should be going towards. But that this idea that our, our living, our commitment, our devotion to doing good will speak so much louder than anyone who spreads lies. I, I love this idea and how hard is that to live it out. Verse 16, he then he goes on to say that you are free. So live like you're free, not to cover not to use this freedom to cover up for evil. I to to me, this might be a rich to some, but to me, man, I when I read this, I think about the whole mask debate in this country. That just because we're free, because we're Americans, because we were born in this, because we're this is a free country, we can't put aside some of our freedom to help our neighbor. To me, I just don't understand how a Christian can have that perspective when we could be saving lives. But to me, this is just another picture of our freedom. Our freedom isn't just meant for us to do whatever we want, for us to pursue our, our passions like he talk, starts to talk about here. But how our freedom should be used to bring freedom to others. They should be used to help mature us so that we can reach other people, people who aren't exactly in the same place that we're at. And then he, he also says this, verse 17, which to me, I have a different perspective on now than I did when I came into this mess. Verse 17 says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, at first I read this one. I was like, okay, honor the king. That's going to be the tough one. But the more I really read into all of this, the more I really realized how hard every single one of these are. How I think honestly most of us would be like, you know what, Peter, I was with you up until here, but you don't know what this actually means. You don't know what you're actually calling me to do when you write these things. It might have worked in ancient Rome, but it's not going to work here today. It's not going to work in 2020. It's not going to work in our political atmosphere. When he says, honor everyone. And I feel the question rise up in me already is, God, you don't know all the people around me. You don't know what it's like to live here today. How can I honor everyone? He, even, he then goes on to say, love the brotherhood of believers. And 
how many of us can't even stand other people in, in church? I'm not talking about specifically our church, but how many Christians do you know who even carry hate to, towards other believers? To me, this on, love the brotherhood of believers, this should be the easiest one, but often we know that the people who are closest, the people who we should love the most, are the ones who hurt us the most and are the most difficult to love. When I used to work at Nyack College, I would, uh, and I would meet someone who just started working there and who had never worked at a Christian institution or, or a Christian school before. And eventually they would just feel jaded and, and worn out because they're like, I thought it was gonna be different here because it's a Christian place. These, the irritants, the working with people, I thought it was gonna be easier because this is a Christian place. And honestly, we find that oftentimes being with other Christians sometimes rubs us the wrong way more than being with non-Christians. But yet we are called, God's word calls us to love one another, to live with peace with one another. City Life, how can we do that as a church, become deeper and deeper and deeper and love one another? The, the third one here, fear God, is the one that we wrestle with our whole lives. What does it really mean to fear God? God, you're supposed to be my comfort, but on the scripture also talks about that fear is a good thing. Fear of the Lord is a good thing. How do I fear you? How do I share this fear with you? How do I talk? about other people, about you being a compassionate, loving God, while I also communicate fear, while I also communicate respect and authority, and that you're not just my homeboy, but you're my sovereign Lord. And then the last one, honor the emperor. Do I, do I even need to say anything about our, <laughs> where we are right now about honoring the emperor? about loving the, those who are in authority over us, about whether you're a, a Democrat or, or a Republican, about loving one another, about reaching one another, about having conversations with one another, but even all the way up top, Lord, I'm sure all of us are asking, Lord, how can we even do this one right now? How can we do this when there are so many people on more than two aisles telling us to hate someone else or to be afraid of someone else. How do we honor everyone all the way up to the top? How do we do this in our world today? I think any single one of these is already enough to say that Christian tourism, this idea of just living it up, being so happy, being joyful all the time, of just looking at what's good out there, I think already it's pretty dismantled already that this life thing here with Jesus is going to be really difficult and it's going to require us to be attuned to ourselves and our hearts and our emotions. And so uh, he's just a really natural question that comes out from this section talking about sojourners and exiles, how we're not just meant to be living our lives here 100% like we belong here because our new home is in heaven. A really easy question that comes off is, how does our call to be spiritual sufferers empower us to do the impossible and love our enemies? To love the very people who we naturally don't, to love the people who are hurting us, to love the people who we don't agree with, to love the people who are politically different than us, ethnically different than us, racially different than us. Our part of this ability to do this comes out of this call that we are exiles and sojourners. We are never fully here all the time. It's a deep thing to wrestle with. 
But then let's see how Peter develops this a little further. He starts talking about people in very specific contexts. He starts talking about slaves, wives, and husbands. I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to include this portion, even though I'm afraid to talk about this in my own strength. But this is, this is a passage, and passages like this have been misused for centuries, for generations, to oppress people. And, and I believe that we have a loving God, a God who put this compassion on Peter's heart to write to these people who are in vulnerable places in society, who had very limited options, and he wanted to give them a word, a hope, something to do, a game plan, to be able to go through life and understand what Jesus was doing. And so to us as modern readers, a lot of this will sound like, and we'll hear it, and we're like, oh, I no, I don't like this. I don't want to wrestle with this. I just want to reject this. But we got to dive ourselves into here so we understand the heart that Peter, that God had given Peter in this writing of this letter. And he starts off in chapter 2, verse 18, he starts talking about slaves and how slaves should submit to their masters. Now we, we read that and we just, oh, we cringe automatically. I'm even right now cringing in, in my heart, in my mind, wanting to be heard really well. And I, I just, first of all, uh, the idea of slavery is not the same, the word here for slavery is not the same that we would have or associate with today. Let me be very clear that scripture does not support modern slavery in any way, that it is against it and that God used a remnant of the church to rise up and abolish slavery and how they were the ones who really kept God's word alive in that season, not those who used scripture to keep slaves and keep wives submissive and where they were at. But here, Peter uh, wanted to read, reach to these people who are actually bond servants. Bond servants are much better, a much clearer picture of what these people would have been. And the overwhelming majority of bond servants would be people who were reckless financially, who had occurred so much debt from decision after decision after decision, or greed or pride or ambition to get financial gain and they reached this point where they were in this debt that they could not pay off and so they had to go into service to pay off this debt that they owed so much money to this person that they would not be able to pay it off so they had to go into this lifestyle of servitude for them it was always lovely i'm not painting this picture that it was beautiful that you could have a harsh master but how the idea to modern day slavery isn't apples to apples. Whenever the word is used to say that modern slavery is great or God supported, that is just false. Read Philemon, read the words that Paul writes to Philemon, how he calls him a co-heir, how he calls Odysseus a co-heir to God's kingdom. God does not support slavery. But here he's writing to these indentured servants and he's saying, you know what? You're in this bad place. You're so vulnerable. The mistakes you've made have put you here. But you know what? You are still called to live these lives that are set apart. The, the mistakes that you've made, you know what? You can, be, you can have freedom from them. Repent and forgive and live with Jesus. And, but you still have to call, live this life that is set apart. That even as this bondservant, live a life that's peculiar, that looks different where you honor your master instead of reviling him, because you know what, that's what Jesus did as well. And he, then he transitions, starting chapter 30, to talk about wives. And again, oh, cringe, cringe after cringe. We read this and we just, oh, we don't like it. 
But here, let me let me talk about how Peter's pastoral heart was just uh, ur urging, earning to write to these women who were married to men who were not believers. You see, in, in ancient Rome, men had a lot of power over their wives. And normally it would be expected that the wife would follow the gods of the husband. And so he, Peter was writing to these ladies who had come to faith in Jesus and with their husbands. And he's saying, live this life that's set apart. Live this life that's holy. Live this life that is submissive to your husband in all of the right ways, not in the bad ways. Because later on he also calls them co-heirs. We'll get to that in a second. But Peter, Peter wanted to write to them so that they knew how to live their lives, so that they, their husbands wouldn't be worse to them than they already were. And he's saying, hold on to Jesus, live this life. You know what? He talks about the outer beauty because he's saying, let your inner beauty be the most beautiful thing about you. The life that you live, the decisions that you make, the way you treat and talk to your husband or talk about him, let that shine forth. Let that be the most beautiful thing about you, not not just what you see but the heart that you live out of let that be the most beautiful thing that you do so that your husband can know jesus so that he can come to christ so that he can be convinced and he then he also talks about husbands and he addresses husbands and he's saying you know husbands you in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Again, cringe. This section is just cringe after cringe. But here, Peter was being very deliberate. He's, when he talks to them about the weaker partners, because culturally, societally, they were much weaker and had very less options. And he's saying to them, you know, husbands, if you know Jesus, if you are so changed by him, if you really are a sojourner and in exile, if you have been transformed, if you have this living hope, then you will treat your wife, who has, very, who has less options than you do societally, you treat her right. Because she is a co-heir, and that's really what this whole idea is, is that we are co-heirs. There is nothing that separates you from me, from our from what we get from Jesus, that you are just as much an heir as me, as I am with you. Paul writes this in Philemon when he's addressing slavery, when he's telling Philemon, let him go because he is your co-heir, he's your partner. We actually have to live in this koinonia and this partnership together. And there's actually in koinonia nothing that separates you from me and God. That there's nothing about me that makes me more accessible to God. And he calls all of this, and he wraps this all up, all this idea in verse chapter 2, verse 21, when he writes this. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So he's saying, you know what, if you're a bond servant, if you've made mistakes in your life that have led you to this place that you don't want to be, your, bet, your debt is paid off live like you're free because the example that Christ gave us was that he honored everyone even those who hated him even those who tried to kill him he's talking about hey hey wives if you have a husband who is not a believer submit to him to win him over don't let go of what God has we have plenty of stories that say when 
when something human opposes something that's God, you choose the thing that's God, but submit to your husband, live this holy, set-apart life, and show him what this faith of yours is really all about, and he'll come. And then he also talks about the believing husbands. Again, if you, are, if you really know Christ, you know that your wife is a co-heir with you. You know that there's nothing about you being a man that makes you better than your wife. You know that everything, all the advantages that you have are just societal and not because God loves you more. And he even says this, you know what? If you don't live like theirs, your prayers would be hindered. I love, I love that this is tied to the example that we are given in Christ. I love that portion of scripture that James read for us, that even when Jesus was being killed for us, he was leaving that example for us. And that in all of the ways that life is just so hard to live this Jesus thing out, we are still called to his example, no matter how hard it is. Again, I want to be really clear that there is no room in Scripture for slavery, for modern-day slavery. There is no room in Scripture for men thinking that they're better than women. That is a bad reading of Scripture. But this example of Christ and all of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, it doesn't go away just because life gets hard. And we're talking about being this Christian tourist, this Christian who just goes, if he doesn't like what he's feeling here or, or what he's going against here, I'll just go over there because it'll be better there. But no, that we have to live our lives where we're at and in the suffering better know Christ, better know how he brings freedom for us. And that brings us to our last section of the day, and is, I've been calling it Suffering for Righteousness. In, in chapter 3, starting in verse 9 to 12, Paul, Peter writes this, Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For... Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I love how Peter gets to this point and he says, you know what? If you want to see good days, for those who truly want to see good days and, and live towards that, don't just be a spiritual a Christian tourist, but do this. Keep your tongue from evil and deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek and pursue peace. Because God keeps his eyes on the righteous and his ears are always pointed towards the righteous's prayer. Because God always opposes and is angered by those who do evil. And so in our suffering, Christians, fellow Christians, we are never alone. In our suffering, we have this living hope because we are never left alone. We never go through it alone. Even in our community, we have one another. But when there's no other believer around you, God is never far from you. He's, he's, his heart goes out to wives, wives with horrible husbands. It's not okay, but keep your eye on God. Keep your prayers towards Him, because He will not leave you and He is with you. Bond servants, do
do good because God's, God's eyes and his ears will be on you and he'll be listening to you and working for your good. I love this reminder. I love that we are called into these difficult parts of life, that we are called to be much more than just Christian Taurus, but Christian suffers, because God has, will never leave us when we are suffering for the sake of good or for his gospel. And then at the end here, he, Peter takes this turn, and all of a sudden he starts talking about baptism. And it's because baptism was our first death. Baptism was this agreement that we made with the Lord. said, Lord, I don't want to live my life without you, and so I'm going to put myself to death. And I'm going to raise up a new being with this living hope who accepts this call to be set aside a living stone, a living monument. Because my old self died when I went in that water, and who, my new self rose up with you. And so no matter the circumstances that I find myself, even, even though they're horrible, even though they're the worst parts of human existence, even though some of these circumstances were unthinkable, Peter's heart reaches out to them and says, keep your eyes on the Lord, because he is not far from you. Keep your mouth towards him, and he will listen to what you're saying. You see, well, well, as soon as I be, was baptized, I was never the old Pedro. I'm never just the Brazilian Pedro or the American Pedro. I'm not a, the Latino Pedro. I'm not a pastor Pedro, but I am always first and foremost the follower of Christ, Pedro. That I am an exile and a sojourner to this world because I belong more to his kingdom than I do any kingdom here, any nation here, any group of people here. I belong to Jesus and that's where my real heritage is. And so if I have to suffer, I'm gonna suffer with my Christ because I'm not gonna let go of his promises. I'm not gonna let go of him. I'm not gonna let go of my savior, of my shepherd, of the one who keeps me when I can't even keep myself. I can do all things with Jesus and living a deeply devoted life. I died to who I used to be. That old Pedro is no longer with us. But this new Pedro here, this kingdom Pedro, is being called to suffer when suffering comes, to put myself in places that are hard because there are people there suffering. And so that's really been the whole idea of today is does my life look more like a Christian tourist who goes here and there as I please, who is never tied down to helping anyone for long enough to actually produce change? But am I being a Christian who suffers for the sake of other people, for righteousness sake, for the gospel? That's a question that I'm going to be asking myself for the rest of my life. And I love how Peter brings us here. He reminds us, you guys are sojourners, you're exiles, you don't belong here. Your ultimate home is in heaven, and so never let go of Jesus' teaching, of Jesus' examples, of living life the way we're called, because as soon as we do, we're, we're not living this righteous life anymore. And so hold on, hold on to Jesus. I hear Peter's words again here echoing all over this portion of his letter. Hold on to Jesus, don't let go. 
because there's no better place to be, even though we're suffering, even though you're in this bad spot. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your prayers towards him because he is the only one who is able to do anything for us. And so to conclude, I just want to ask the question again to us as a church. Do our lives and expectations point to a life that is more of a Christian tourist or a Christian sufferer? As someone who is superficial in their faith, who at the sign of any pain or suffering becomes afraid and leaves, or are we so committed and so devoted to Jesus and following his example and his teachings that even in the worst scenarios that we find ourselves in, that where our faith isn't shaken, but that is actually activated to hold on even further and to be a part, a part of bringing freedom to ourselves and the people around us. I pray that this letter, this series that we're in, that we've just been called Deepening Our Souls, really does that. That helps us wrestle with the difficulties of life, the difficulties of being in situations that we don't want to be in, that nobody would want to be in, but how we keep our eyes on Jesus the whole time. As he brings freedom practically and as he brings it spiritually. And so let's go to our prompt questions today. And let's really wrestle with the, our question for the, about our, our behavior, about our lives, about our expectations. Do we look more like Christian tourists or do we look more like Christian sufferers? And so here are our prompt questions today. Prompt question number one. How can God be comforting if he consistently calls us to suffer for him? If this true Christian life is so difficult, then how can he be our comfort? How does he comfort you? Prompt question number two. In this season, how are you being called to submit to our authorities? This is, this is not just a political question. It's not about being a Republican or a Democrat. It's about so much more than that. It's, it's about politics. It's about racial. It's about your neighbors. It's about being a good person. How are you called to submit to people over you and above you and around you? to show reverence to Jesus and be a witness to those who you find it extremely difficult to be. Prompt question number three. How does the Christian call to suffering make you feel? Here we're going for an emotional answer, not even a thought question or what does that make you think, but what does that make you feel? Remember that one of the aims of this whole series is to get more aware with our emotions of where we are and so how does the fact that God calls you to suffer how does that make you feel all right church we love you so much we're so grateful for this time that we have together let's jump on our MC calls next week we'll have a church-wide call and we'll take communion together and so let's jump on our MC calls now let's digest the sermon with one another this is a difficult sermon I know and so let's just try and make some sense out of this and see how we live it out today in our world. We love you. We'll see you again next week.